0: Well, do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can. There should be Bibles in baskets down by your feet, and get with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll also put stuff up on the screen, so if you can't find one or you don't want to crawl over someone's lap, uh, you can just look up here as well and you can um, see the passage up on the screen. Uh, We're going to be on page 950 in the Bibles that we have here, so uh, if you grab one, you can get there. Let me give you a little update on what's happening, uh, just so you can plan accordingly. This Wednesday, I will actually be having ACL surgery on my knee, um, which is crazy. I know uh, that's how I feel too. It, you know, I was I was looking ahead and going, you know, once the MRI came back, they said it's torn. You'll need surgery if you want to continue to do this stuff you love. I said that's okay. Well, let's start looking in October or whatever. And they called me back and they said, well, we can't do the dates that you proposed, but we could do Wednesday, the eighteenth. And I said. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, just give me a quick minute to get my life in order, you know, to be able to uh, have surgery and be out for a little bit. So um, next weekend, then, we'll finish up our Battle Ready series, but we'll have our one of our teaching pastors from Beloit will use the video message. We'll bring that in, and uh, we'll do the, the video message on Sunday morning here. And then the following week, the 29th, We have brought in Daryl Strawberry to tell his story. He's a former baseball player. And we brought him in to give his testimony and to share how God's been at work in his life. And uh, he's going to be live at the Bloyd campus, and we'll be uh, piping into what they're doing there as well that weekend. So, um, you know, Lord willing, I'll heal up fast. I'm telling you about my surgery so you guys can pray for me and uh, pray that I'll be able to get back at it pretty quickly. Uh, But we've got the next couple weekends covered, and I just wanted to let you know that so you can plan accordingly. All right, uh, we're doing a series, Battle Ready, we're talking about the fact that we do have an enemy. If you're a Christian, you've got an enemy. And we're looking at this armor that God has outfitted us with. And this morning, we're going to think through what that means. We're going to look at these different pieces of armor. We're going to think about what those items are and how they work in the midst of the battle. And then we're going to ask the question at the end, where did these come from and how do we wield them? How do we, how do we gain access to them? Um, as I was working on this, I was reminded of my childhood. Uh, my brothers and I have got three brothers, and we did taekwondo and so we signed up for it and then they gave us all kinds of gear and as you know boys, we loved it. They gave us stuff to put on our hands and on our feet and on our shins and on our bodies and a helmet and then you know we'd go into these um, sparring matches and there'd be tournaments and whatnot but but we got to bring them home too so So we would just jack around with the with the gear and we'd be so excited like this is awesome and we just wail on each other and and then i was thinking a lot of us as christians we don't really recognize the gear that god has given us and what it's for and we just kind of toy with it a little bit but hopefully this morning you'll have the opportunity to prayerfully reflect on what those items are and and why they're so significant in this battle so i'm going to read i'm actually going to read the entire section with you and uh, we're going to focus on verses 14 to 17 God, we ask that by your spirit that you would give me words to explain the mystery of this gospel. We thank you, God, for your word, that you are a speaking God. And we've gathered here this morning because we want to hear your voice. We don't just want to hear the opinions of some dude. We want to hear from you, the living God. And we believe, God, that when you speak, things happen. Hearts are changed. Lives are changed. That you can, by your powerful word, you can make all things new. And so Lord, we anticipate in this moment that by your spirit, you will speak to each of us and you'll help us, God. Help us to know you. Help us to know our enemy. Help us to know what you've done for us to help us in this fight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at each piece of armor and we're going to think a little bit about what those items are. And then we'll zoom out and we'll ask, where do they come from and how do we how do we wield them? So the first one is the belt of truth. Look at verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, we might think of, you know, five pocket jeans with belt loops. And we think about our little leather belt that we put on that holds our pants up. Um, you know, my daughter, she, she all of a sudden, she's like, I want to wear a belt like daddy. So she's always asking for, for a belt and I just can't keep my pants up. But she, she's thinking, you know, this little thing that goes around her waist that holds it up. But when you look at the what's going on in this first century, their gear was different. And so as commentators pointed out, it's more like a leather cloak. It's more like this garment, this under armor that they would put on first if they were going into battle, and then they'd fasten it around their waist, and then every other piece of armor would somehow relate to it. Like, like the sword would be hanging from it, and the breastplate would go over the top of it, and all these different things um, w- would relate to this truth. But He's saying we have to put this thing on. This metaphor is saying there's a there's a battle at hand, and you have this belt of truth that needs to be buckled around you. You need to be a person who cares deeply about what truth is. Um, We we need to be asking the question: Who is God? What is He like? What's He doing in this world? what's true of me? What's true of us as human beings walking on the face of this planet? We need to understand what truth is. And nowadays, there's actually an animosity toward truth. We live in a time in history where a lot of people view truth with skepticism. And truth is something that for a lot of people now, it's very fuzzy. That we don't like to say hard and fast things about what God is like or what's going on in the world. We just say, yo, if you you like this, if you feel this way, if you feel strongly about it, good for you. That can be your truth, and I'll have my truth. But what if there is an objective reality? What if there is a God who's revealed himself in a specific way? What if we're meant to know him in a particular way, and he's given us his word to help him know all about that? Now, the enemy, if you're a Christian, you've got an enemy, and he hates truth. He wants to prevent you from finding it and then from, or, from ordering your life around it. He does not want you to possess the truth. This is how he's described in John 8. We can put it up on the screen behind me. It says, He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. We have an enemy, and he hates truth. His native language is to speak deception. And so what he wants to do then is he does not want you clothed and belted in truth. He wants you to be vulnerable. He wants you to think that there are all kinds of different options of what God is like. He, he, wants, to re, he wants to reimagine what God is doing and, and what, what your issue is and what's going on in your life. He wants, to, he wants to refashion things in a deceitful way so that you can't properly know God. So we need to be people then who are putting on this belt of truth, who are thinking clearly about what God speaks to us through his word. A.W. Tozer, he put it like this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Truth really does matter. I believe Tozer is right on this account that, that we need to be people who, when we think about God, we think about him on the terms that he has given to us that we understand truth because truth has been revealed in the scriptures and we are people of that truth. If we are going to be successful in this battle, we have to be concerned with what truth really is. Um, Now, unfortunately, I think that a lot of people are dismissive of truth nowadays. We don't like to set boundaries on things or clearly articulate what we think, uh, and that can be problematic. Having done full-time ministry in some fashion for about 16 years, I've actually seen, both up close and personal and from afar, I've seen deconversion experiences where people who are Christians, who, who would identify themselves as Christians and maybe even be heavily involved in the church, who throughout a, a process ordinarily, throughout a process, they, they decide they're no longer Christians. They, they might even say, I don't even like Christianity anymore. Now, here's one of the themes that I see in all of these different stories. There is a relationship to truth that starts out very, it seems insignificant, but it grows. And here's the concern. People who, who look at truth and they go, I'm kind of skeptical of that. And then, then it grows in their heart to be, I don't like that and here's how i feel about things and and you're saying truth is more like this and these don't go together. And the more that there's a divide there between your experiences and what the bible is saying, you begin to look at this and say that's not me. I can't do that. That's unfortunate. That's what the enemy is trying to do. He is trying to get you to view truth in a way where you would say i can't get on board with that. Now god is a speaking god and he gives us his word so that we might know him better. So, for us we need to be thinking through, how can we be people of the truth? How can we put on this belt of righteousness so that we're prepared for all of the deceitful attacks that the enemy's going to have? I would encourage you to be thinking very strategically, how can I grow in my understanding of truth? And maybe starting with a Bible reading plan is a great idea. Just become a person who keeps going to the Word and trying to learn things about God, recognizing He has given us His truth coming to church, obviously, and being involved in groups and talking through stuff with other people. But we need to be concerned with truth. And we need to be able to say, here's what we believe the Bible says about this. So we need to put on this belt of truth. Secondly, we need a breastplate of righteousness. Look at verse 14. Not only do we put the belt on and buckle it around us, we also put this breastplate of righteousness in place. And you can hear from its description, what it is. It's, a, it's an item that goes right on your chest. It goes right on your torso, and it's designed then to prevent any body blows that would be devastating. It's going to protect your vital organs. It's going to go over you, and it's going to be this piece of armor that is going to prevent deadly body blows. Now, when it's described as this breastplate of righteousness, we're, we're learning that it means something to do with the righteousness of being in a right standing with God. That's what righteousness means. It's to be right with God. So there's this dynamic of a relationship. And we need to, God has made us to be in a right relationship with him. But also, we need to display righteousness. We need to live in a way that shows people what God is like, making choices that reveal this right way of living. Now, here's what the devil does. He does not want you to pursue righteousness, and he doesn't want your relationship with God to be right. So here's how he attacks you: he tries to get you off on one side or the other, thinking that you don't have a relationship with God, or that the way you live doesn't really matter. Let me show it to you in in Scripture. There's this um, kind of obscure place in the Bible. We'll put it up on the screen. There's a prophet named Zechariah, and. Zechariah sees a vision of the high priest, and in that vision, he sees the angel of the Lord and Satan. Satan's there accusing him, the angel speaking over over this individual, but this individual's name is Joshua the high priest. And this is a very clear picture of how spiritual warfare often works. So let's look at it. It says, Then he, God, showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. That's what Satan does. He's an accuser. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Here's how that works then. Here's what Satan's doing. As the accuser, he's standing beside you, just like he stood beside Joshua, and he is saying, look at you. You are such a mess. Do you really think that you can be right with this holy God? Look at you. You've made a mess of yourself. Do you think that God is going to accept you? Do you think that given all these choices that you've made, that God's just going to receive you gladly as his child? No way. That's what Satan does. He accuses us. He tries to take that ammunition of our filth, and he says, look, there is no way that a holy and righteous God would want anything to do with you. You've got no business being here. But what does God do? What does the angel of the Lord do in this moment? He says, I rebuke you, Satan. I'm the Lord, who's chosen Jerusalem. I'm the Lord. I understand his filth. I've received him gladly. He's my child. He's a stick snatched from the flame. Is he filthy? Yeah. Are we filthy? Yes, we've made poor choices. But God is the God who is able to look at us and love us and do something about it. He's the one who's able to bring us in and clothe us with these incredible garments of his grace. He's the one who can make us right. He makes us righteous based off of what Jesus has done not what we need to do. And so we get this breastplate of righteousness. We get this right standing with God by faith in Christ, by faith in what Christ has done. And then the other thing that Satan will do, if you believe that, you say, okay, I'm right with God based off of faith in Christ. And then here's what Satan will begin to do on the other side of it. He will say, if God loves you like that and he forgives you, then you don't really have to worry about living your life in a way that would be right. You can just do whatever you want. Your job is to have fun. God's job is to forgive you. Your job is to do whatever sinful desire might come into your heart and just do that because God is going to forgive you. That's another attack of the enemy. So he wants us to fall off on one side or the other, thinking we're not worthy of being in a relationship with God and we despair then, we're sad, and we don't know what to do. Or we get to the place where we say, I'm forgiven so I can just live however I want but the breastplate of righteousness protects us from that incredible body blow. It helps us to recognize, no, we are children of the living God. We are right with God because of our faith in Christ, and he wants us to live in a way that's pleasing to him. So we need to be people who are putting on this breastplate of righteousness. We also have gospel boots. Look with me at verse 15. It says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We have this Equipment, it's a you know, our footwear, and they are boots that help us to publish this message of salvation, this message of peace. Now, that's an important thing because a lot of times people will think if we're doing warfare, we're going to be rugged and we're going to be mean and we're going to advance the kingdom in a way, and and we kind of take it on ourselves and and then we become brutal. But here's what we see here, even by this footwear, we are the people who advance the kingdom by publishing peace. We're not brutal. We're peaceful. The, The advancement of the kingdom is when we put on our gospel boots of peace and we go out and we make known the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. We put on our boots with this readiness to explain and articulate that God loves humanity and he's done something about it. He sent his son to die in our place and he's gifted us with grace and righteousness. This idea comes from Isaiah 52. It says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace and bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. When we're putting on our gospel boots, we are marching out saying, We're going to make this message known. We're going to publish this message of peace wherever it is that we, that we end up. So I was thinking this week, here's what we should do. Um, get your shoes in the morning, and maybe take your insoles out and write on them with a Sharpie, gospel boots. And when you're putting them on in the morning, you put on your shoes and you go, I am being outfitted by the Lord himself that wherever I would march out today, wherever that lands me in my workplace or with my friends or you know, in my school or whatever the case might be, you say, wherever my feet land, I'm going to publish the good news of the gospel. I'm going to take back ground from the enemy. I'm going to march out with confidence that God will give me this incredible message of peace and I'm going to make that known and the enemy is going to hate that because he does not want more people to come to know God in a saving way. But that's something that we get to do, a privilege we have as Christians to make known this message of good tidings, of salvation, of good news. That also means that if we're publishing a message of peace, we should be peaceful people, that we should be people who are non-anxious, that we should be people who were, were being so radically changed by the content of what we believe that we become kind and gentle. I've told you guys this many times, but I believe that the majority of spiritual warfare happens on the turf of our hearts, and the main arena where it shows up is in relationships. And what I'm saying is we need to be so engaged in this that we're being radically changed so that our relationships feel like good news. Okay? So, so when you think about, um, when you're not paying attention to this, when you're not praying about this, when you're not engaged in it, often what happens is you begin to display the flesh. So Galatians chapter 5 describes what happens in relationships when you're not full of the Spirit. What, what happens? You get jealous. You get bitter. You get resentful. You get, in some cases, malicious, angry, hateful, and you do harm. But if you pray and you say, God, would you fill me with your spirit? What's the fruit of the spirit? In a relationship, it looks like this. Love and joy and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control. If we have a message of peace, I think that people who are making that message known ought to be people of peace as well that we should be kind and gentle and, and careful in the way that we talk with people because we want this message to come across loud and clear. So let's put on our gospel boots of peace. Let's take up our shield of faith. That's the next item there. Look with me at verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So there's a shield, and you have this thing. Think Captain America wielding this shield. Um, You're putting this thing on, and there's an enemy, and he's firing darts at you, and they're on fire, but you've got this shield that is preventing you from being harmed. You've got this shield of faith, and that means that you you understand some things about God. You understand what he's doing and how he's saving you, and you actually trust in him. You've taken this thing up. He becomes, like the Bible says in so many different places, God himself is our refuge and our shield. Psalm 91, under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield. So you are thinking through and believing God is faithful to me. And so come what may, whatever the enemy has, I'm going to be okay. We need to take this thing up, but it's a matter of faith. And I've tried to explain to you even at the beginning of this series, sometimes we can know certain things about God and we can agree to them. We can nod our heads. That's right. That's right. But if we're honest about our hearts, we don't believe it to be true. Okay, so I explained to you a couple of weeks ago, I said, hey, I know God loves me, and I know that God superintends my life. I know that he cares for me. I know that he gives me what I need for my ordinary, you know, weekly work. I know all of these different things. I nod my head to it, but what does my heart sometimes say? God doesn't like me very much. Because I look at my circumstances, and I begin to reevaluate without faith. We need to be people who not only know the faithfulness of God, but we pick it up and we use it. We say, God is good. I don't understand why the enemy is so outraged, but God is going to shield and protect me. So we need to take up this shield of faith. Then we have a helmet of salvation. Look at verse 17. Take up also this helmet of salvation. I uh, love action sports. I've been doing it for 26 years. And um, that means skateboarding, surfing, wakeboarding, snowboarding, you know, riding sideways. That's my thing. And I've been doing it my entire, nearly my entire life. And and I love it. And there was a time when I was skateboarding. And um, I was at a skateboard park. And they had this thing. It's called a fun box. So it goes up, and then it's flat, and then it's down. And on the top of it, they put a handrail that goes up, flat, down. And so I was skateboarding and there was a contest coming up. So I was working on a stunt and, and uh, I was coming up the ramp and I get to the flat part and then I jump up onto the rail and I'd slide down it backwards. So you're looking over your shoulder, sliding down it backwards. And I was trying to get it dialed in for the contest. But one time I did it, I'd go up the ramp, flat, ollie up and my board sticks. It Doesn't slide down. It doesn't start to go down that handrail, it just sticks. And so, you know, this is several feet up in the air, you know, a couple feet above that on the rail, and it just sticks. And so I fly off of the rail, past the handrail, down to the concrete, and I catch myself kind of with my heels and then my hands. But I'm coming so fast that when I hit, I just, boom, hit my head on the concrete with incredible force. And I get up, and I'm so shaken by what just took place. I get up. And I take my helmet off and all the people are coming around me and they're just looking at me like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm, I'm looking at my helmet and I'm like, I am so glad in this moment for this thing, right? I, that, without this thing, that would have been devastating. And that's what God does for us. He gives us this helmet that the enemy is thinking, I'm going to do something so severe. I'm going I'm to create this incredible blow to their head. But if you have the helmet of salvation, you will be okay. You'll be safe. Paul puts it like this when he writes to another church. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Here's what that helmet is then. It's something that we hope in, that we recognize what God is doing, and we recognize that one day we're going to be saved, that we're saved right now as Christians, but one day, He's going to come and return in his glory, and we're going to be with him, and, and, and it's going to be incredible. There's this hope of salvation that we as Christians look forward to, and that actually makes us pretty invincible people. That's what I was thinking about Paul. He, he's, you know Even in this letter, you see he's in chains. He's an ambassador in chains. He's in prison, and he's writing these different letters to churches. And in the next one, in Philippians, he's, he's writing, and there are people who hate his guts, and they're like, we're going to kill this dude. And he writes to them, and he's just reflecting, and he goes, guys, if I live, that's Christ, but if I die, that's gain. Here's what he's saying. Paul is saying, as a Christian, I'm invincible, right? He's saying, oh, there are people who want to take my life. Make my day, right? Make my, take my life. I'll be with my Savior forever because I have this helmet of salvation. If you're a Christian, and you place this hope of salvation on your head, you're unstoppable. The the worst thing that the enemy can do to you is it's not going to have an eternal effect on you. You will be saved. You have this helmet of salvation. So take up this helmet, place it on your head, and safely walk with the Lord. Then we see the sword of the Spirit. Look at verse 17. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to be people who fall in love with this because it is something God has given to us the sword of the Spirit, that we want to know what God says to us so we make a habit of reading this thing and coming to church and expecting that this book would have a primary place in in our gatherings. And, you know, as I was praying and reflecting this week, I just thought, you know, my goal for our campus, I want to be doing this in 25 years. And I, I want to, one of the things that we do around here is we really believe this book is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And so that's why we read from it, and that's why we preach from it, because we believe that God can speak to us through it. But I was thinking, man, if I'm doing this for 20-something years, here's what I hope that you would expect, that you will have a firm grasp of the things of God. That even if you're here for a short amount of time, you would feel like, that, I know more about my Bible now. I know more about this sword of the Spirit that God has given to me. I'm aware that Corey cares deeply about this. I might not care too much, but if I come to church, I expect a heavy dosage of this thing because he really does believe that this is the word of God. That's that's what I hope. I want to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, when he was thinking about his ministry, he said, I'm innocent because I did not hesitate to proclaim to them anything that was helpful. I preached the whole counsel of God. That idea is in the back of my head at all times, thinking through, how can I make sure that when you come to church, you're getting the whole counsel of God? We have the sword of the Spirit. You should expect it to be wielded at church. You should make it a habit to be uh, in it on your own as well. Grab a Bible, start reading in the book of John, but start a habit of reading the Word of God. It is your sword. Finally, we have this item of prayer. Look with me at verse 18. It's outside of the metaphor now, but I think it's still very, very important for spiritual warfare. It still goes together with all these concepts. Verse 18 says, "...and pray." in the Spirit, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We need to be praying. We need to recognize that God has given us this gift to be able to talk to him. And we need to be praying at all times with all kinds of different prayer requests. But I hope, I hope that prayer becomes not only something that we do here in church, but something that becomes just in the, woven into the fabric of your life that you are constantly praying, praying for the church, praying for our nation, praying for the Lord's people, praying for the advancement of the kingdom, and on and on and on. But I'm hoping that you and I, that we would become people of prayer, that God has given us this incredible gift and that we would wield it. All right, now here's, here's what we're going to do and we're running out of time. We're going to zoom out and we're going to ask the question, where did this armor come from? And how could we ever wield it? And I, I'm a dork. I, I love Marvel. I love the super, you know, all the superhero movies, and I've been watching them. And Ash and I got through all of them recently. We watched Endgame. So just help me out here. How many of you guys love Avengers? You love the Marvel movies. You've, you're watching them. Okay, good portion of you. That that's, makes sense to me because it's one of the you know, most popular films of all time. How many of you guys are working your way through it right now? Yes. Hallelujah. Okay, Um, so I won't spoil it for anything, for anybody, I won't spoil it for anybody, but it made me think of Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, that hammer that he wields because he's worthy, right? He's got this awesome hammer, and he gets it back in endgame, and he's just like, you know, so pumped about it, he's like, I'm still worthy. He's the chubby Thor at that point, and made a mess of his life, but he's like, I'm still worthy. Um, But I'll explain it in just a minute. When we think about where this armor came from, where did we get this armor? When Paul says, you you guys, you need to put on the full armor of God so you can make your stand against the devil and against his schemes. Where did this armor come from? This isn't the first place in the Bible where it shows up. It actually shows up quite a bit earlier. If you've got that Bible open in your lap, turn with me to page 605 and 606. The prophet Isaiah is talking about the people of God and how the enemy has kind of gotten them in a really bad spot. And he's aware of that and he's confessing that and, and he's saying, here's, and he begins to speak, here's what God is promising to do. But the first thing that he does is he explains that though the people are oppressed and the enemy has taken such a strong stand against them, there's a, there's, they're partly responsible for that because they've not been walking faithfully with the Lord. So look at verses 12 and 13. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. He's looking at the condition of the people of God, and he's saying, guys, we did not follow God. And so the enemy has taken a lot of ground on us. And we're beaten down, and we're discouraged. But then he turns the attention to what God is going to do. And he begins to explain, God is promising to send a warrior Messiah. And then he begins to talk about that warrior Messiah. And he says, guys, we are, we're in trouble. We've rebelled against God. We, we, we've done all these things. The enemy has taken so much ground from us. But then he says, but listen to what God is one day going to do. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. Okay, here we go. Armor of God stuff. God is doing this. This Messiah, this warrior, he put on righteousness As his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal. That's another word for passion for truth. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to what they have done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent up flood that the breath the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. Who is, who, who is this? Who's the warrior Messiah who's coming to make all things right again? Oh, it's our King. It's Jesus. Who's the one who's going to put on all of the armor of God and go to battle for us? Oh, it's Jesus. He's the one, and his fighting looked a lot different than we expected. What did he do? He laid down his life he sacrificed himself. He put on all these different things, but now he says, you guys get him. You get the helmet of salvation. You get the breastplate of righteousness. You get this stuff. So here's what we need to do then. If this is the work of Jesus Christ, if doing spiritual warfare is trusting in him and believing in him, here's who we are. We're kind of like Captain America, right? There's something that we have access to that here's what we need to do. By faith, pick it up. By faith, recognize that Jesus did it all for you and He's giving you His gear. And you, then, as a Christian, need to say, I'm taking this thing up and I'm going to war. And do you know what happened in the theaters when that scene, when Captain America picked up that sword and everyone cheered? That should be what's going on in your heart right now. Jesus gave me His gear. He died in my place. He rose from the grave. He's victorious over sin and death and the grave. And I, by faith, trust in Him. So I've got an enemy. He's a serious enemy, but he is a defeated foe. Jesus beat him up, and I trust in my Savior and my warrior, Messiah, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to ask that if you're willing, that you would stand with me. And I want to pray over us as a church family and any of the work that God might be doing in this moment, but I want to take a minute to pray, and then we'll be done for the morning. Jesus, we look to you in this moment. We don't walk out of here with swagger because we're so awesome. We walk out of here with gospel confidence because you fought and you won for us. We thank you for your gear, your salvation, your righteousness, your helmet, your shield of faith, and all that you give us as Christians. God, we thank you for those gifts. We recognize that there is an enemy and he hates our guts, and so we march out of here knowing that it's not going to be easy. We're going to put on our gospel boots and we're going to get out of here and we're going to go publish the good news of the gospel. We're going to publish peace wherever we go. We're going to take back territory from the enemy. We're going to help people come to saving faith in this incredible Messiah warrior, our King. We pray in his name. Amen.